0: This is Morning Edition on NHPR. I'm Casey McDermott, and thank you to those of you that joined us in the 7 a.m. hour. We apologize for those technical difficulties that you may have heard if you were tuning in. This is live radio, so we're going to give it another go now. Uh, We want to tell you, though, about all of the stories that have been happening this week, or at least the top stories, Um, and there has been a lot. The CDC reinstated its eviction ban in parts of New Hampshire. COVID-19 cases are still on the rise in the state, and transmission rates are also going up. Too. Meanwhile, the US Canadian border could reopen soon. Joining me now to talk about these and other top headlines are my colleagues, NHPR reporters Ali Pham and Daniela Allie. Good morning, Daniela and Allie. Good <laughs> morning, Casey. Good morning. So thanks so much for being here. Um, We'll start off with Allie. Housing and rental prices are continuing to climb and inventory is low in New Hampshire. It's really difficult for people to find and hang on to affordable housing right now. About how many people, Allie, are at risk for eviction in New Hampshire? Do we know?
1: So a new analysis this week from Sergo Ventures suggests that the rates of households who've fallen behind on their rent and could possibly be up for eviction are pretty similar across the state. It kind of ranges from about 10 percent in the northern parts of the state to 13 and percent or so in Hillsborough County.
0: Got it. Got it. So that's still a lot of people. Yeah. And, um, you know, Daniela, the CDC ended its eviction moratorium or its previous eviction moratorium over the weekend after um, pressure from some progressive members of Congress and activists, however, um, the agency brought it back. So, Daniela, who is covered under this new eviction ban and who is not?
2: Right. I think the important thing to know about this new eviction ban is that it applies to counties with substantial or high COVID-19 transmission, uh, community transmission right now. So that includes Belknap in Belknap County, Cheshire County, Grafton, Hillsborough, Rockingham, and Stratford. Um, the transmission rates change, so who's covered can change. Again, this eviction moratorium runs through October 3rd. Um, but some of the other aspects of the previous moratoriums hold true here that... It's people who are affected, who happen to be affected directly or indirectly by the pandemic, experiencing loss of income or jobs or extraordinary medical expenses. They meet certain income levels; um, they're protected. Um, but this is again something. Another caveat in this moratorium is that tenants are only protected in cases involving non-payment of rent.
0: Got it. So those other reasons for eviction may, um, you know, may still leave someone vulnerable if they if they are being evicted on other grounds. So um, we, we have asked listeners, we've asked you to write in with your questions about New Hampshire's housing crisis, and you can do that by sending an email to voices at NHPR.org. We heard from John in Hancock, who asked, how does the eviction ban affect landlords? Is there a provision in the eviction moratorium that provides relief to landlords? So, Allie, do you know the answer to John's question?
1: Yeah. So this eviction ban is supposed to help landlords too, not just tenants. Um, the relief coming through the program is available to landlords to help them make their mortgage payments and keep up with the cost of owning property.
0: Got it. Got it. And, you know, it's not like people who are facing eviction are necessarily seeing their cases automatically dismissed. So, Daniela, I think you were kind of alluding this, alluding to this before, but there's a process for tenants to make sure they're covered, Right.
2: Yeah, tenants have to um, fill out a declaration form that the CDC has attesting to whether they meet, you know, the requirements to be covered and they have to present that to their landlord. So it's not just an automatic protection. You have to file, you know, you have to fill out some paperwork beforehand. Um, And again, this extends to cases covered by the CDC moratorium. So if there was a case, you know, from last month that was covered, by the previous moratorium it is now that's been extended um but if you haven't filled out that form yet um and think that it applies to you then you still need to fill out the form for 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 that protection got it got it and casey i know that you spent some time this week too listening to some of these eviction hearings this week in manchester so i was just curious you know like what you see what you saw what you heard um and kind of what snapshot you got of the situation.
0: Yeah, so I um, I actually went to the Manchester Circuit Court um, the day that the new eviction ban was um, supposed to be going into effect. And the judge there, um, you know, did seem like she was aware of the changes, but, you know, even she said that kind of the guidance was still trickling out on it at that time. Um, there were several tenants before the court who said that they applied for emergency rental assistance, but were still awaiting a response on their applications. Um, I did see one tenant and his property manager who agreed to kind of work out a payment plan as a way to avoid eviction. Another tenant said that she had applied for that assistance, but her landlord hadn't followed up and done his part of the job. Um, But, you know, the landlord claimed he never received that request. That case ended up being put kind of on hold. And, um, you know, the judge encouraged her and encouraged a lot of people who were in a position where they were facing eviction due to nonpayment to, um, you know, really make sure that they were maximizing the resources available to them, um, including through that rental assistance program.
2: Yeah, and as as you alluded to, Casey, there is a rental assistance program um, run through the state, and that's still available to people regardless of whether they're covered under the eviction ban or not. So whether or not your county has higher substantial levels of COVID nineteen, um, and that's the circuit courts are also, as you mentioned, you know, really trying to make sure that. Uh, when people are in, in these eviction cases that they're aware of the assistance that is available, um, and now we have some explainers on our page at NHPR.org about how to apply for assistance the documents that are needed. Um, and you can also find the application for rental assistance also utility assistance at CAPNH.org or by calling 211 if you don't have Internet access.
0: Yeah, thank you so much, Daniela, for making sure that we share those resources, because, you know, as you said, and as, as we've learned, there's a lot of people that, um, you know, still may not be aware that that's out there or know how to access them. Um, this is Morning Edition on NHPR. Again, I'm Casey McDermott, and I'm here recapping this week's news with my colleagues, NHPR reporters Daniela Alley and Ali Pham. You can let us know your thoughts and questions on this week's top headlines or other stories by sending us an email to voices at NHPR.org. And I want to turn now to, um, you know, another ongoing issue, um, which is the pandemic. So COVID cases are still on the rise in New Hampshire. Um, Allie, you've been following this. Can you give us a sense of where the latest
1: numbers are? Yeah. So cases of coronavirus here in New Hampshire, have been on the rise really for the past month or so um, with the highly transmissible Delta variant causing surges across the country and and here. And, um, you know, yesterday, state health officials reported 232 new cases of COVID-19. And that's the highest single day total that we've seen in nearly three months. We also saw yesterday active cases in the state topped 1,000 again, again, kind of a number we haven't seen in in months
0: so the most recent CDC guidance on masks says that if you're in an area with substantial or high transmission rates, you should be wearing masks indoors, even if you're vaccinated. So what do transmission rates look like in New Hampshire right now, Allie?
1: Right. So it does actually depend a little bit on on where you look. The state of New Hampshire has maps, and so does the CDC. And and those are actually the same maps that we touched on um, with the eviction moratorium. Um so let's just stick with the CDC map right now because they're the ones who've issued that guidance. Um, and, and right now, as Daniela mentioned, all counties except for Sullivan, Merrimack and Carroll are seeing substantial rates of transmission, which hits the CDC's threshold for um a return to indoor masking, even for fully vaccinated people. And we did see Hanover reinstate their, their mask mandate. But at a state level, health officials have not issued new guidance to counties with substantial transmission rates around masking. And, you know, New Hampshire hasn't had a statewide mask mandate since April.
0: The CDC is also recommending that children in schools should be wearing masks indoors this fall, but the state here in New Hampshire is leaving it up to individual districts to decide on whether they should require students to wear them. So, Daniela, we're getting close to the start of the school year. Have any districts said what they're going to do about masks? Yeah, so this week, the Concord School District became one of the first in New Hampshire to
2: reinstate its mask mandate for the fall semester. Um, And the CDC does recommend masks in schools, but Governor Sununu says as of now, a
0: state mandate is not necessary. Got it. Got it. So is the Concord School Board tracking any specific numbers to determine whether they'll continue to require masks?
2: Yeah, at a school board meeting this week, they said they're going to require masks for all staff and students indoors until the city of Concord either reaches a 70% vaccination rate or until a vaccine is available to elementary school-aged children.
0: We've also seen some movement this week locally from um, you know hospitals and healthcare systems. Dartmouth Hitchcock Health announced details of a vaccine. Dar- I'm going to restart that, if that's OK, Mary. Dartmouth-Hitchcock Health announced details of a vaccination mandate for its employees this week, and it looks like other hospitals in the state are also considering a mandate as well. So, Allie, you've been following this. Can you tell us more?
1: Yeah. So earlier this week, as you mentioned, Dartmouth-Hitchcock Health said they'll be requiring COVID-19 vaccines as a condition of employment, and that goes into effect in the fall. Employees can you know, get a religious or medical exemption, though. Um, When President and CEO Dr. Joanne Conroy pointed to a surge in cases nationally and here in New Hampshire with the Delta variant as one of the the driving factors in that decision. And, And here's another reason she pointed to as well. As the state's largest provider of care and largest private employer, we have a responsibility to set an example in the area of public health. And yeah, other hospitals are also considering vaccine mandates. On the same day that Dartmouth Hitchcock Health came out with that plan, the New Hampshire Hospital Association, of which all of the state's hospitals are a part of, announced support for vaccine requirements for healthcare workers. And I'd reached out to some of the state's other largest, larger health systems, and it's it's definitely something they're they're considering.
0: Got it. So um, I'm sure that uh, listeners can continue to follow your coverage as more of those uh, policies take effect and evolve. Again, this is Morning Edition on NHPR. I'm Casey McDermott, and we're recapping this week's news with NHPR reporters Daniela Ali and Ali Pham. You can let us know your thoughts and questions on the week's top headlines by sending us an email to voices at NHPR.org. Um, so let's you know move on to another, uh, another story that is uh, pretty big this week. Daniela, um, soon fully vaccinated us. citizens may be able to cross the Canadian border, um, potentially starting next week. However, we have seen you know some reports this morning regarding strike actions from Canadian border agents. Um, you know, if the border does open up as planned, what can citizens expect when they do cross the border?
2: Yeah, so first people need proof of vaccination and a negative COVID test when they cross the border. So again, if you're vaccinated, you need a test um, and proof of that vaccination. But as you mentioned, in, uh, the Canadian Border Service Agency employees have planned to strike um, kind of what's known as work to rule. So basically following every single rule of what they're supposed to do. So asking all questions on entry forms, not working on lunch or during breaks and not past scheduled hours. So there might be long delays at the border crossing and in airports as well.
0: Got it. Got it. Well, here at NHPR, we will be keeping an eye on the situation. And if you have plans to travel to or perhaps from Canada once the border opens, um, we'd love to hear from you. Please email us at voices at NHPR dot org. Um, We also, you know, we're following a story about a man in Canterbury who's made national headlines this week after refusing to leave his cabin on a wooded property where he has been for quite some time. Um, Allie, can you
1: tell us more about the situation? Yeah. So 81-year-old David Lidstone, also known as River Dave, has been squatting on land in Canterbury for over 25 years. He's lived off the grid, grown his own food, used solar panels for electricity. Um, but he was jailed in mid-July on a civil contempt sanction and told he'd be released if he agreed to leave his cabin. But uh, he said no and was in jail for the for the last three weeks. But he has finally been released. Is that right? Yeah. So River Day was released yesterday. And the cabin that he built for himself was was burned down this week. And a judge ruled that he would have less incentive to return to the property now that the cabin is gone. Well, that's all the
0: time we have today. Um, Allie Pham is NHPR's health and equity reporter. And Daniela Alley is our reporter in the Upper Valley and Monadnock regions. She also leads KI De Nuevo, New Hampshire's Spanish language reporting project. Thank you both for joining us this week. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Casey. Thanks to both of you as well. You can find more of their work and all of the stories we talked about this morning at nhpr.org and tune in to Morning Edition next Friday to hear us recap the big news of the week. I'm Casey McDermott, and this is NHPR.